Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Energy prices have become a national crisis. But for the energy companies, things have never been better. Our heating bills this winter could rise by £200 more than previously forecast. Energy consultants now think the whole basis for the price cap needs reviewing, adding it's not working for consumers, suppliers or the economy. British gas owner Centrica recorded half-year profits of £1.3 billion. British energy giant Shell has announced record profits of more than £7 billion. BP made profits of £6.9 billion a 14-year high. From next January, the price cap on household energy bills will be four times what it was two years earlier. According to forecast this winter, a massive jump up again, in excess of £3,000 a household. But what's really scary about this is not how high the prices are, but how long they're going to endure. The petrol pump is the perfect metaphor for it because you sit there and you watch your money just disappear. Bills are rocketing to unaffordable levels. Meanwhile, energy companies are raking in record profits. Surely something has to give. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the energy bosses drowning in black gold. My name's Jamie Nimmo. I'm the Associate Business Editor at The Sunday Times. I cover a range of sectors, but I guess the one that's been keeping me most busy is energy. In February 2020, Jamie was at the Royal Lancaster, a luxury five-star hotel overlooking Hyde Park in London. He was there to hear a speech by the new chief executive of the oil giant BP. It's a pretty plush hotel. It's right on the corner of Hyde Park. It's got great views and people were piling in, excited. The pandemic hadn't shut anything down yet, so people were still going to events and there was a lot of chatter in the room and the real um, excitement, actually, because we knew something was coming. There were a lot of headlines about pressure on oil companies to change. The environmentalists were really dominating the headlines. And it was the first chance for Bernard Looney, the new chief executive of BP, to get up there and really say what his plan was. And people thought he'd say something, but what he outlined was so stunning that people couldn't believe it. Everywhere I have been, inside BP as well as outside BP, 
I have come away with one inescapable conclusion, and that is that we have got to change. He became the first chief executive of a major oil company. So these are big companies that drill oil out the ground, refine it, and then sell it at the petrol stations. And he said, So our ambition is to become a net zero company by 2050 or sooner, and to help the world get to net zero. Every journey Excerpts of the speech were released by BP, complete with some stirring music playing behind them, heralding a big, bold new vision for the company's future. The world does have a carbon budget, it is finite, and it is running out fast, and we need a rapid transition to net zero. It was a real moment in the oil industry's history. What was the reaction? Describe the room. Yeah, well, there's a mix of people in there, really. It was, there were some campaigners in there, there were shareholders, there were journalists like us. And I think people just thought it would be the usual uh, wishy-washy statements, you know, this is what we plan to do, but, you know, no real targets. But people were really, really amazed by this. They couldn't quite get to grips with it. And I guess it wasn't long after that, really, that people started to go, well, these are real big promises. How is BP, an oil company, going to really deliver on this? How is an oil company going to become net zero? I mean, there's a lot of talk across all industries, but the oil industry is really the poster child for emissions and bad stuff. Started around 10 p.m. Tuesday, a massive explosion lit up the sky. 126 workers were doing routine drilling on the oil platform before it was engulfed by smoke and flames. It wasn't that long ago that we had the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. On Louisiana's coast, more dirty oil washed ashore today. The greatest oil spill in American history now covers 29,000 square miles. I mean, the former boss, Tony Hayward, was the most hated man in America, you know. And fast forward, what was that, 11 years ago? Now it's claiming it's going to be the poster child for the Green Revolution almost. And they were, I wouldn't say forthcoming with any sort of actual plans, but over the sort of coming months, they teased out a little more. So then they said... By 2030, we will slash oil production by 40%, which wow. was quite stunning if you think about it. So that was the first big move where people started to sit up and go, wow, he's pretty set on this. And then a few months later, they upgraded that target and said, right, it's going to be 50%. So they're going to half their oil output in eight years, effectively, which is pretty remarkable. But again, there were still those questions. How are they going to do that? And also, ultimately, a chief executive's lifespan is probably about four, five years average. He's promising, but who's actually going to have to deliver this? I think a lot of people listening will just be wondering, how on earth do you have BP, a company which is all about oil, offering to slash its, its production by 40%? I mean, what would the company do? There was a lot of interest in wind farms at the time. The government was really trying to drive that agenda and make the UK a real, I think, what did Boris Johnson say? As Saudi Arabia is to oil, the UK is to wind. A place of almost limitless resource, but in the case of wind, without the carbon emissions. There was also solar energy, a lot of talk about what you could do with hydrogen, hydrogen in cars and powering factories, electric car charging. So there are all these ideas, but again, we didn't really have an idea of what they wanted to do. At the moment, there's sort of tinkering around with little bits and bobs, but nothing even gets anywhere near the oil production and the money they make from that at the moment.
and the net zero part, I mean, what would that mean for a company like BP? How, how would they make their company comply to net zero? They might still produce oil. And they always say that's still part of their strategy. This idea of net zero doesn't mean they emit zero carbon. It's just that they are replacing that in the system to make it greener, basically. Slightly complicated, but the net is an important part of the net zero. How did all of that go down with, with the shareholders? As you can imagine, there's a sort of old guard in the city of London. They weren't too happy, and especially the pace of it was the real staggering thing. So there's a real divide. You know, some shareholders could see the way the wind was blowing. You know, governments were turning against oil, all driving towards net zero. The oil companies had to play a part. There are some on, on, on his side, but there are others who aren't too happy. And he's sort of under a bit of pressure now to show how he can deliver them the sort of money that he makes through oil, which mm. is very lucrative at the moment. So that was two years ago when the world was a very different place. As we get to 2022, energy companies like BP are making record profits from oil. <laughs> Last November, I mean, Bernard Looney actually described BP as a cash machine. Just give us a sense of how much money BP is making from oil at the moment. It's half-year results time for BP, and as we saw with Shell last week, it is a very good time to be in oil and gas. So firstly, last quarter, so the latest three months, they made nearly £7 billion in pure profit as well. That's not even revenue, that's profit. So after all the costs that they take in and paying staff, wow. it's staggering, really. That's just in three months. The second highest profit in its history, three times as much as in the same period last year. And it's the same picture across the industry. Everyone is coining it in. They, they've got so much money, as the chief financial officer said, they had more cash than we know what to do with. They really just ran out of ideas. They just can't believe how much they're making, given two years ago, the oil price, on some measures, dropped below zero. And now it's up at $110 a barrel, record highs, effectively. And the gas price, as we all know, because we're all paying higher energy bills, is also much higher. And this filters through the whole system. So those pumping it out the ground and selling it on are making huge profits. Those at the refineries turning it into fuel that goes to the petrol stations are also making record profits. I mean, Jamie, just talk us through that transformation. Why has the price of oil leapt so quickly? Why has it gone from mm. being so low a few years ago to the situation we're in now? It's a s supply and demand thing, really. Demand dropped during the pandemic, but then the recovery in demand was so large, supply couldn't keep up with it. You had economies like China stopped exporting oil, and then obviously a few months ago, Russia invaded Ukraine, and then they stopped exporting oil as well. So the price just kept rising, basically. We have this squeeze on supply, but the demand is still very high for petrol and diesel, and that forced prices higher, really. BP admitted that they see that lasting for quite a while. I mean, really? maybe not quite the levels that we're seeing right now, but they're still going to be making huge profits for at least another year at this rate. Yeah. And you can understand that during the pandemic, there wasn't as much demand and they might have sort of reduced supply. But why would it take so long for the system to adjust back to normal? Demand has gone up, but surely supply should have too. Well, you'd think so, but there are a lot of refineries that closed during the pandemic around the world. Oil fields that basically went bust, they couldn't function. It wasn't a normal market. And it takes a lot of time to replace these things. It takes about seven years to build a refinery. 
making up that reduced demand is pretty impossible in the short term. So I think there's something like two and a half million barrels of oil a day has dropped out of the global system since the start of the pandemic. And for the energy companies, you know, they are making enormous profits in the meantime. Are they ripping customers off? I mean, what is the justification for keeping the profits they're making? They would argue, you know, it's a market that sets the price of oil and and they don't define that. But of course, if you've got control of pumping oil out the ground and then selling it at the other end, of course, you can affect that as well. We've seen it in different countries. Total in France shaves some money off the price Mm. of the pumps. BP were asked, you know, you've made a £7 billion profit. Are you going to do that? And he said no. He's not working on the PR anymore, is he? Uh, he's, I mean, Bernard struggles with the PR a bit. I mean, the Times actually asked him a few months ago, you know, of this £18 billion that you've committed to spending in the UK and investing in the long term by 2030, what would you not do mm. if there was a windfall tax introduced? And he answered, none of them. We would carry on as planned. And this really angered the government ministers who were batting off calls from Labour for a windfall tax. If you put a... Uh, a windfall tax on uh, on the energy companies. What that means is that uh, you discourage them from making the investments that we want to see that will, in the end, keep energy price- prices lower for everybody. And ultimately, really forced them into a U-turn and introduced it. It is possible to both tax extraordinary profits fairly and incentivise investment. Yeah. And so, like previous governments, including... And that costs the industry about £5 billion, so he's not the most popular man within the industry with his rivals. Have they spelt out a vision for how they'll use all the extra profits they've made? I mean, two years ago, he did make promises, astonishing promises, about how the company might transform, which would require quite a lot of money if you're going to change the business enough to cut oil production by 40% and suddenly become a clean company. Is there any possibility that some of this profit will at least be channeled into something useful like that? You would hope so. I mean, at the moment, it's really only tinkering around the edges. You'll see announcements about 50 million investment in charging points here. You might see 50 million investment in biofuels. But ultimately, that's not really where the money's going. At the moment, they've got so much cash that they're returning it to shareholders. These are profits that are then rewarding our shareholders, who, by the way, are not some faceless institutions, but pretty much anyone who has a pension or pays into a pension in the UK is affected by that. That's in higher dividends, you know, billions in dividends to shareholders, mainly in the city. Of course, there are pension funds as well invested in that. So there are normal people who rely on that money for their savings. There's also what's known as share buybacks. A bit like dividends, really. It's just another way of returning money to investors. When you, It's often when companies have so much money, they don't know what to do. They just buy back their own shares, and that wow. makes their shareholders more money. So that's where it's mainly going. I mean, there are a few other things as well that's slightly unique to BP. They had a lot of debt during the pandemic, so that's something like 20-odd billion still. They're paying that down, and they're also still paying about a billion dollars a year in compensation for the Deepwater Horizon spill. So that's also costing the money, but the bulk of it is going on their shareholders. Coming up, as energy bills soar to levels that millions can't afford, Britain is heading towards a standoff between the energy companies and ordinary people. Could this be another poll tax moment? That's after a 
a quick word from a colleague. I'm Mehreen Khan, economics editor of The Times. My job involves covering an extraordinary period for the world and UK economy, where central bankers and governments are contending with runaway inflation, the pandemic and a war in Europe. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. So tell us about the man in the middle of all of this, you know, whether it's the promises he made two years ago or how much some of his rivals in the industry must be miffed with him right now. Tell us a bit about Bernard Looney. He grew up on an Irish dairy farm and started actually working as an engineer in 1991 as a 20-year-old. Well, I joined in uh, in Aberdeen, which uh, I remember well, and I drove all the way from Ireland to uh, to Scotland, and uh, it was a big adventure. So he's been at BP his entire career, basically, worked his mm. way up, was ironically, for someone who's pushing BP towards this green agenda, he spent his entire career in the upstream arm, which is basically the side that pumps it out the ground. He's well liked with the old guard who like to pump it out the ground and make all the money. That's his bread and butter, but now he's moving in another direction, obviously. He's very charming. I mean, you know, going back to that Royal Lancaster Hotel presentation, I mean, he's very smooth, he's very slick, he's good at selling the message. So after many decades, we will be retiring the upstream, downstream model that has served us so well. And we will replace it with one that is more focused, more integrated and faces the transition head on. You could argue he, he messes up the PR messaging a bit, but he does tell a good story, which you can't often say about other chief executives. He's sort of shaken up BP's image, really. I mean, the ties are out the window. It's much more relaxed. And in terms of his, his pledges, the great vision he offered when he made that speech back in 2020, do we have any sense of whether that'll ever come to fruition? His narrative shifted slightly. So more recently, he's been talking in the wake of the Russian invasion. He's made more noises about energy security and affordability, as well as net zero. They've pledged £18 billion of investment in the UK. But again, we don't really know what that's going to be in. It's pretty vague at the moment. 
he is under pressure to deliver from shareholders. And that noise will get louder, I think. You'll probably see over the next year, if oil prices stay up where they are and they're making a lot of money and he's saying, we're going to get out of oil, mm. who knows? The business world is a cutthroat place. There's a chance that he, he might be ousted before he gets anywhere near delivering these ambitious targets. Jamie, people might not have heard of Bernard Looney before, but it does feel like energy bosses are suddenly, you know, they're suddenly public figures and they're suddenly fair game. You know, in the last few months, we've had you know, one tabloid express the frustration that I think everybody's feeling right now. So, first of all, let's see what's on the front pages. The Star takes a dim view, calling the likes of British Gas and Shell money-grabbing scumbags. Money-grabbing scumbags. And there, there are pictures of bosses of, of big energy companies suddenly being made public, along with headlines like that. What sort of reaction has that had in the industry? These are sort of figures that are used to sitting in the background, dealing with shareholders. They're not used to being public figures, and they're not necessarily very good at managing that either. And it doesn't help when they earn millions of pounds a year themselves. You live in very big houses, own several properties, go on luxurious holidays and have huge pensions. And of course, you know, three and a half thousand pound a year energy bill to them is nothing. They won't even know it. So that really doesn't help. In the industry, they probably feel they're quite harshly treated at the moment and, and getting bad press and it's not their fault. They would say, well, for the last few years, it's been quite hard for us. We haven't made huge profits and our shareholders deserve to be rewarded. And after all, a lot of them are pensioners who rely on us for their income, so we're finally delivering for them. So that's probably how they would see it, but it's a hard sell. People realise it's costing them a lot more. Energy bills are going up. In October, when the price cap's reviewed, it's going to really hit home for a lot of people, and £100 at the petrol pumps is going to be the least of their worries, really. I mean, are they worried about the public anger every time they are sort of publicly shamed like that on a newspaper? Does that in any way make them think differently about how they behave. Most big company chief executives these days realise that public image is very important. People think long and hard about image. Even I get asked by some chief executives, you know, what do you think we should focus on? One actually asked me recently, you know, you know, we've all been focusing on green and renewable energy, but do you think we should be shifting the narrative a bit to energy security and affordability? They think about those messages a lot, but of course... One slip of the tongue and you're on the front page. And, and it was the Shell boss recently who said, could you do anything at the pumps? Could you help reduce bills for struggling consumers? And he said something like, we can't produce miracles. And that doesn't help on a day when your company just reported profits of something like $11 billion in three months. It is astonishing, the disconnect. For a lot of people you know, across the country, they're already struggling with energy bills. We're already told that that will only get worse come the autumn. People are looking for someone to blame. Tell us a bit about the public response to all of this. Tell us a bit about Don't Pay UK. Mm. What exactly is that and how, how has it come about? Bills are already going up. We saw the price cap go up in April and now we're seeing people already struggling to pay their bills. There's a growing movement to respond to rising bills and tackle this. And there's a movement called Don't Pay UK, which was formed in June. 
And they have decided that, well, look, bills are unaffordable. It's going to push people into poverty. We need to do something about it. The way they want to respond is by getting everyone to stop paying their energy bills. Now, it seems like a sort of drastic measure, but it is something that Martin Lewis, the money-saving expert, warned about weeks ago. The biggest single response I've had from people when I've been talking online uh, about the financial catastrophe that is coming this winter is people responding, what if we don't pay? Not paying is a form of civil unrest. It is a, a, a technically unlawful protest. And it's a protest that is akin to what happened to the poll tax when people simply said, this is not fair, we will not pay. So far, as of yesterday, over 108,000 people have signed up to the Don't Pay UK group and members have been speaking to the media about why they've joined. The reality is they're putting prices up by hundreds and hundreds of percent. Mm. So there's nothing you can do personally to, to resolve this. I think the only way we can resolve this is if we act collectively. If we can get a million people together and do this, and I think we can bring the, the companies to the table and try and de- deliver affordable energy for everyone. Their aim is to get to a million people, and it's doubling every week at this rate. So who knows, in a few weeks' time, they could be close to that. And how exactly does it work? I mean, you sort of you refuse to pay your bills... And then what? I mean, do they just cut off your energy supplies? Do you get in trouble with the law? How does it play out? You would imagine that your energy would get cut off. However, we've talked about this idea of energy companies worrying about the public perception. If you cut off someone's energy, it's not a great look, is it, if they're struggling to pay? You said that they're aiming to get to a million. What happens when they do? Is is that just that they think that the energy companies can't punish everyone. (laughs) Exactly that. I think they think that's a number that no one can ignore. When it gets to a million and you're talking about a large chunk of households, they can't ignore it anymore. You mentioned the money-saving expert, Martin Lewis, earlier. People are starting to talk about the danger of civil unrest and how this might all blow up. People have even sort of compared it to the poll tax moment. Just remind us a bit about how that played out. This was Margaret Thatcher's policy to introduce a flat rate to charge everyone the same. The government is about to tear up the present system of domestic rates and replace it with a fairer one. And high time too. Today, everyone benefits from local services, yet only householders pay rates. So an elderly person living alone pays the same rates as her next-door neighbours where three wages are coming in. And, of course, times were tough towards the end of that decade and people started to do exactly what Don't Pay UK are talking about. They had different slogans then. I think it was Don't Register, Don't Pay, Don't Collect, the 3Ds it was called, and people stopped paying. We weren't talking about a million. It got to something like 17 million people stopped paying. Mm. And, of course, there was a huge backlash and Margaret Thatcher refused to back down, but days before it was introduced... Rioters have been fighting running battles with police in central London tonight. The police now say 341 people have been arrested after a demonstration ended in violence. There were hundreds injured, hundreds more arrested. 
and it was hugely unpopular and Labour were claiming that they would eradicate it if they were in power and of course the polls started to shift and that was when pressure really, really turned on Margaret Thatcher and, and ultimately led to her downfall not long after that, a few months later really and it was probably this that caused it so it, it's not something that can be swept under the carpet, people take this very seriously if it starts to hit them in their pockets that's when the public can really turn so you could feasibly see you know, marches in the streets and even, even riots if nothing is done. And it is remarkable to think, you know, looking back at, at the poll tax example, that was enough to bring down a government. If you had that kind of mass reaction again now, it could do all sorts of damage. And you, you can understand that the energy companies would be worried about that. The next six months feel like they're all important. Is there more the government should be doing? Probably. But at the moment, the government's sort of all over the place, really. They can help consumers at the other end, really. That's probably what will end up happening. I mean, they've promised £400 off energy bills, but more is clearly needed. Bernard Looney was actually asked, what are you going to do with your £400 discount? And he replied that he'd never actually heard of it and didn't know what the reporter who asked was talking about. He later came back and changed his mind and said, actually, I've decided I'm going to give it to charity. So it was another sort of PR disaster, really, for Bernard. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, the Sunday Times Associate Business Editor, Jamie Nimmo. You can find all of Jamie's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription or in print on Sundays. The producers today were Oliver Adamson and Edward Drummond. The executive producer today was James Shield, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do drop us a line to stories of our times at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.